The book of Proverbs is uh, a book of wisdom. It gives us direction for our lives. It allows those who are seeking to do the right thing to find out what the right thing is, to discover wisdom. It then gives us very, very good advice for how to go about pursuing that. No doubt many of you are continuing, and I'm thankful for those who do, to listen to the Daily Audio Bible, and, and you'll hear a proverb or two every day for a whole year. And if you listen closely, I'm sure you've experienced what I have, as he changes translations you know, every week or so, and, and you hear it in a different way, and you realize, man, I hadn't heard that before. And as he points out, when he reads these, sometimes just a single sentence or a single verse has just heavy laden meaning. And we get so much out of this when we stop. And I would commend to any of you that when you don't know where to turn or you're struggling or just looking for something to do or a verse to read, then you can't go wrong by turning to the book of Proverbs and starting to take in some of the things that are said there. And so the goal, again, is to give us wisdom to know how we should live our lives, how we should conduct ourselves in the time that we have to point back to God and to point toward a right way of living. We also reflect on the fact that this is a choice we have. We can choose to live the right way. We can choose to live the wrong way. We can choose to grow wisdom in our lives. We can choose to pursue that, or we can choose to pursue the things that the world has to offer and ultimately be empty, even if saved in the end. So we should pay close attention to this. And the verse that kept pounding in my mind over and over again since Tuesday is in chapter 15, verse 1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. I probably don't have to explain to most of you why that came to my mind, and again, I don't want to make this unnecessarily about John T., but his smile and his laugh and his words had a special way of doing that, didn't they? And so I want to dwell on this verse for just a little bit today. A different translation reads as follows, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. And another translation says, a soft and gentle and thoughtful answer turns away wrath, but harsh and painful and careless words stir up anger. I want to begin by pointing something out that I think we fail to forget many times. We confuse in our Christian life what it means to be meek and gentle and soft, which we're commanded to be and told that Jesus Christ was with being pushovers. And Jesus Christ was anything but a pushover. And he would give answers that were very pointed, calling people out, telling them to stop sinning, pointing out sin in their lives, giving advice, giving commands, telling us how we should live. He didn't pull any punches, but he did it with love and in a gentle way. And I think sometimes, as I said, we think as Christians, well, we can't tell people the truth because they won't like us or because it seems mean to be truthful to them. 
I think we get that backwards. I think we sometimes fail to answer, and in reality, that's the mean answer, isn't it? If we know the truth and don't say it, that's the problem. So we're given an example here in this verse. We're given the, the wise way to do something, and then we're given the example of what happens when we don't do it that way. But I want to make sure we understand that we are told we should answer. And so when someone asks a reason for the hope that lives inside you, you should give an answer. When someone asks why you behave or believe a certain way, you should give an answer. When someone asks you why you don't do certain things or don't go certain places or don't hold certain views or don't support certain things, you should give an answer. But those answers should be soft, gentle, tender, something that promotes understanding. Not out of spite, not out of anger, not out of uh, rash, being too quick. And many times when we think about this, I believe that while this is saying that we give an answer and we instantly apply, and rightfully so, that we would give one verbally, sometimes we don't have to give a verbal answer at all. So much of our communication is physical. That's why it was so hard when we were all hiding behind screens and masks not that long ago. We were masking, quite literally, the very thing we used to communicate. That's also why you can say you can see someone who smiles with their eyes. All these different things make a difference. And so sometimes the answer we give is verbal, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a different style of answer. We do it with how we convey ourselves, how we hold ourselves, how we look at someone, how we smile, how we laugh how we frown, how we look sad. We can give answers. So the encouragement is for us not to be silent, but to give an answer. But let's look at some of these words here real quick. I read out of the King James Version. It says a soft answer. Again, this carries the idea that we're being gentle and tender, thoughtful. That our response should be something that tries to restore some type of good nature. You ever had somebody yell at you? You ever yelled at somebody? Uh Uh-oh. We've all done that, again, out of anger, too quick to respond. I have a hard time when people yell at me. I don't care for it at all. It gets me really upset. So we're supposed to do the opposite of that. We're supposed to be soft, gentle. Sometimes that means we have to think through how we're going to respond and take a second before we respond quickly. Listen closely. Those who are a little younger need to learn this skill, and some of us who have a few years need to learn this skill as well. We might need to take a minute to respond to make sure we're doing something that's reasonable. But the Scripture says a soft answer or a tender or a gentle answer turneth away or turns away something. And what is it that it turns away? This idea that it turns back or retreats. This idea that when someone is giving you an insult, when they are speaking in harsh tones to you, being soft, being careful for what you say, being tender, will turn that back the other way. Not that you're reflecting their anger back at them, but you're going to turn the tide back to more of a gentle way. I believe I've mentioned this before. I had quite the um, almost kind of fun doing this sometimes back in my former career where someone would be 
screaming and loud and, and really upset. And I'd actually sometimes move a little bit closer and I'd begin talking. And I'd get quieter as I talked and softer and calmer. And the next thing you know, this person was lowering their volume. They were speaking less and sometimes they'd be leaning in to hear what I had to tell them. See, the reality is I could yell back. That wouldn't help. It just notched things up. And sometimes I'd work very, very hard to speak softly, to speak gentle, to be tender, to be kind to a person, even if they didn't deserve it. Lots of times they did not deserve it. But I would do that, and then every once in a while I'd have someone else come up who maybe wasn't involved in the situation, and they would not be kind or tender, and instantly we'd have a change. And you've seen this in your own life. I don't have to have stories from my life. You've experienced this as well. You've been talking with someone and had someone come in and give a harsh word and seen that change, haven't you? Seen that instant turn where we go back to being fighting words, so to speak. But a soft or a gentle or a tender word turns away wrath, turns away anger and fury. But a grievous word, or that could be a harsh that carries the idea that we're being painful. Now, I do want to distinguish here, as I mentioned, uh, we are not to be pushovers as believers. We're supposed to speak the truth. We are called to speak the truth. I stand here and I speak the truth as best as I can to you. And I'm not going to shy away from that. But the real question is, what is your intention behind it? Because we can all say things with the intention of hurting other people, can't we? This isn't saying that we would never offend somebody. This isn't saying that we would never say something that's a hard truth. It's saying that we will do something out of love and care. That we will try to help someone. Not harsh, not painful, not words that stab. So a grievous word, those uh, stinging words, those uh, accusatory, those harsh words, says they stir up. Anger. What does it mean to stir something up? The imagery here is actually one of like a fire. If you've ever sat around and gone camping or had an outdoor fire, and eventually everything starts burning down into coals, and if you take a poker or a stick and stir it up, the heat comes out, the flames reunite, and we see a large uh, uptick of the, of the flames and the heat. And so with that imagery, you get the idea that if we don't speak well to someone, if we don't speak out of the source of our good heart to someone, if we don't speak to them with uh, tenderness and gentleness, and instead we speak angry words and wrathful to them, all we're doing is stirring up this fire, this heat that is inside, and we are making the situation so much worse. We let anger come. And so we see this comparison we have between soft and harsh, between something that deflects or uh, makes something to uh, decline or go the other way to something that brings up strife and anger and harshness. We're to be gentle and patient with each other to neutralize these angry and difficult situations to keep them from escalating. Same chapter, uh, verse 18 Proverbs says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. So again, this idea we're supposed to be slow to anger. 
It's interesting, you, there may be times to be angry. We should be slow and careful to get there. And how we respond after that is very important. A few verses to support this, just in case maybe you don't trust Proverbs for some reason. James 1.20 says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And James 3.17 says, But the wisdom, we talked about wisdom, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Matthew 5.9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. And then in Galatians, we see the fruit of the Spirit of patience, kindness, gentleness, and self control. And I want to pause here for just a minute and tell you and try to explain to you that we are going to face difficult and uncertain times. We are going to have people who get in our face and tell pure lies to us. We are going to have people who are hateful and vengeful to us, whether they intend to do it or not. We are going to experience these things all the time. And as believers in Jesus Christ, it is our duty to remember that the soft, kind word is what turns away increased wrath. And so when someone is yelling at you, when someone is accusing you, let us remember how we should respond as a believer in Jesus Christ, that we should respond in a way that's contrary to what everyone thinks. I mentioned last Sunday, and I'll just reiterate it because I, I thought it was interesting. We talked about creation. And I said that when uh, Job was telling God and demanding an answer and, and proclaiming he was pure and God showed up and God could have yelled at him. And he would have won that, wouldn't he? But he didn't. God could have told him all about his characteristics, his, his personality, about how good he is, but he instead chose to point to creation, what he created, you see. And so we think about in that example how God Himself is going to uh, deal with us. He isn't generally coming in a wrathful, horrible way, screaming and yelling at us to get our attention. No, so often, in fact, more often than not in my life, it's the still, small voice that comes. When God moves quietly, softly, it's not that he doesn't reprove you. It's not that sometimes that voice isn't stinging to the point that you go, oh, you are so right. But it's the way that he says it. And we should follow after that example. I want to give you one more example. Um, maybe because it's an account in the scriptures you're familiar with, but maybe I've had trouble placing its importance or what exactly it means. I'm going to read it to you. I'm not going to tell you. Where, I'll, I'll remind me. I'll tell you where it's at at the end. But I want you just to kind of listen to it. You've, some of you have heard this account before. Uh, you recall that uh, David had been anointed to be king over Saul. But Saul was trying to kill him. David was on the run. David finds himself in a cave and has every opportunity to take Saul, the one who's chasing him, out for good and rightfully proclaim his throne. David instead chooses not to and simply cuts a small piece of his robe 
unbeknownst to Saul, and then goes to the entrance of the cave after Saul leaves and gives soft words to Saul saying, why are you doing this to me? But it didn't end there, and it took a long time for it to end, and David's on the run again, this time in a foreign land nearby. This is where this story picks up. So he and his men are fleeing for their lives, and he comes across somebody and asks for help. So I want you to listen to this account as I read this, and I want you to think through Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. And I want you to listen to these characters and make application in your life. It says, Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Panera. And there was a man in Manon whose business was in uh, Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep at Carmel. Now the name of the man was Nabal, and his wife was Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Cabrite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have to hand to your servants and to your son David. When David's young men came, and they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears to give to my men, uh, to give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men returned and came back and told him all of this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on your sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David. Well, 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. It's an important word there. Yet the men were very good to us. We have suffered no harm. We did not miss anything when they were in the fields, as long as uh, we went with them. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that no one can speak to him. Let me pause here for just a minute, make sure we're all caught up here. Now, understand what's going on here. This is a neighboring country. David and his men have been protecting Nabal and allowing him to do his work to grow into great wealth and to prosper, but not letting bandits come and rob him. And so when David is in need, he goes to Nabal, and he basically says, Hey, I've done all these things for you. Would you please give me some food and some water and some meat for my men? And Nabal harshly replies, Who are you? Everyone's running around these days. Everyone's leaving their master. I don't know who you are. And David, quite angry with this, 
says he's going to go and to kill Nabal. And one of the men goes and warns Abigail. And a verse, well, you don't know where it's at, so I'll tell you later. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves and two skins of wine, and five sheep already prepared, and five uh, partials of grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, two hundred cakes of uh, cake of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, "Go before me. Behold, I come after you." But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey, and came under and covered uh, under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, "Surely." In vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missing that belonged to him. And he's returned to me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more so, if by morning I have so much as one male of all whom belongs to him alive. When Abigail saw David, she turned and got off the donkey and fell down before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard his worthless fellow Nabal. For as his name is, so is he, Nabal, in his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of you whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who you seek do no evil to my Lord Nabal. And now let his presence that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow you. Please forgive my trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is frightened of the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek after your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living and the care of the Lord God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out from all the hollows of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause for my or for my Lord, working salvation of himself. And when the Lord has dealt with him, he will remember your servant. So Abigail goes and makes a great supplication before David, brings him all kinds of food, and she falls on her face. Again, remember that responding isn't always about what you say. She responds to David, and she falls on her face, and she says, let the guilt be me. Is it hers? Absolutely not. But she's going to take the guilt anyway. And listen, not only what she does, not only she does the right thing, she has the right position, but she uh, tells David, basically, let the Lord bless you because someday you're going to be king and you're going to reign. And I don't want you to be guilty because you murdered my foolish husband. Do you see the contrast? Do you see the difference between a harsh word that stirred up anger in David? And one that came and was soft, conciliatory, and is trying to bring this back down and rightfully say, don't do this, we'll work this out. We see a beautiful picture here, and some would even say a picture of Christ, who had no guilt, yet took ours for him. I'll pause there. The story goes on. I was in 1 Samuel 25, if you want to read more later. You can see the account of 
what she did and the other things that she said. But I wanted to bring us to a very stark contrast for us to see firsthand and to understand that we can do things that stir people up and make them angry and suffer the consequences, or we can do things that are soft and tender and invite calm and peace. And it's our duty to do that when possible. Yet at the same token, she didn't shy away from saying the truth about her husband, did she? But she didn't do it out of hate and envy. She did it out of truth and necessity. So this is a beautiful example. As I said, the reason that I thought so much about this is because of our dear brother who was so gentle and patient and kind, wasn't he? And loving. As was said, everybody loved John T. And a part of it is because he had that soft answer. Whether by nature of his smile and his laugh or his words or his deeds, he was good at that. Not perfect, but good. But I want to talk about the most important person. A person who was perfect at it. You want to flip over, I'll be in 1 Peter and we'll conclude there. It's your last time to, to flip. 1 Peter chapter 2. See, as I said, the Proverbs give us wisdom for how we should live. Jesus Christ, coming to this earth, being fully man and fully God, knew the Proverbs, knew what God required of him, and filled everything to the letter. He did not lose his temper. He did not sin. He did not speak a word that was inappropriate or sinful for him to do. I believe, as the scripture says, as we'll read here in just a moment, that Jesus Christ was fully without sin. There was no sin, which means he didn't think a wrong way, nor did he act a wrong way, nor did he even speak a wrong way. And we see in 1 Peter 2, beginning with verse 21. 1 Peter 2 and 21. For even herein too were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. So Christ suffered and gave us an example. And here's the example. 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. That means deceit, lying, hatred. Didn't even speak a wrong word. In verse 23. 23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that righteously judge, or that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins on his body on the tree, that we, being dead in sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. None of us can do this perfectly. I will have and will do again, shout out in anger and say things I regret. You will do it too. Maybe this afternoon, maybe later this week. (coughs) Abigail wasn't perfect. No one in the scripture, save one, was perfect. Jesus Christ was perfect. And we are called to be like him. That's what it means to be Christian. It means to be Christ-like. 
to be like him. And he was perfect. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. He did not say things that he should not say. And even in the most difficult times in his life, verse 23, who was reviled but reviled not again. We can read the Passion account of Jesus Christ in all four Gospels. And what we hear is that he has taken before illegally the high council, that he is falsely accused, that he is beaten beyond an inch of his life for no reason whatsoever, and yet did not come to his own defense and did not rail against anyone, did not call anyone out, did not yell anyone, did not blame anyone, but rather stood there and took it for you. Because it was the right thing to do. Why was it the right thing to do? The scripture tells us. He suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges rightly. See, Jesus Christ knew what we need to remember sometimes, even as Christians, that in the end, God judges. Oh, it may feel really good. And trust me, you were looking at a man who feels really good when he can put somebody in his place. That's not my job. That's God's job. It's my job to give an answer. But it's not my job to judge and be hateful. It's not my job to punish with my words. It's not my job to pierce someone with my countenance or my actions or my words. Rather, it is God's job to do that, and I need to leave it up to Him. Because ultimately, in the end, He does judge, and He judges rightly. And I can stand before you today, and I can say, because of the rest of this verse, thanks to God alone, I will not be held accountable for the number of times that I've fallen in this. Doesn't mean I shouldn't try. Doesn't mean that I shouldn't pursue to be more like Him. But because He has saved my soul, I will not be held accountable for the harsh words that I've said. And I'm thankful for that. And for those of you who were saved and have said a few harsh words, you should be thankful too. Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree that we, being dead in sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. And so I want to try in a very poor way to bring this into conclusion. We're called to seek after wisdom to live in a right way. God has told us how we should live. Part of that is revealed through Proverbs and entirely through Scriptures. And then we have the Holy Spirit that is our conscience, that is our counsel, in His still small way that He will tell us what we should and shouldn't do and how we should act. But we are reminded and told that, yes, we are sometimes to give an answer, but it should be a soft, a gentle answer that turns away wrath, that doesn't stir up all kinds of hatred and all kinds of things in our lives that cause problems. Even when we have to stand in the face of someone who's falsely accusing us, who was lying about us or lying to us, who mistreats us, maybe in the face of someone we don't like. And we're supposed to give them back a gentle word. And maybe you can think of a time in your life when you have done that and it's worked. But I don't want you to think this is some kind of magic incantation. There's nothing to do with that. You know what? There's been times that I've given back a soft word. Didn't get a soft word back. But we have to leave that to God. God will sort that out. 
But I don't want to miss the most important part of all of this. Because in the midst of all of this, in the midst of God, uh, His Son, giving us an example of what it's like to face the most heinous accusations you could possibly have, to face the brutal beatings, but instead to stand there and to say nothing, but instead to bear our sins on His body. Our means yours. It means mine. It means all of humanity from beginning, from Adam when he first sinned, all the way until the end. Jesus Christ took all of that on himself and he never said a word. And he laid himself down on a cross and he allowed himself to be crucified. God laid these sins on him and turned his face away and allowed his son to be crushed for us. We, being dead in sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Have you been healed? Ask yourself if you've been healed. Ask yourself if you know that you know that you know. I remember saying that. First Wednesday night I was here. And John T. smiled because he knew. And I knew that he knew. That we knew. And you've got to know the same way. You've got to know that you know. And if you don't know, you're lost. You're separated, you're undone, and your eternal punishment will be forever separation from the God who loves you, who came to earth, who died on your behalf, who took your sins upon Him, who was willing and did die for you, and instead you will deny Him and spend eternal separation from Him. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Sometimes we practically spit in the face of God. To deny what He did for you is to stir up wrath. I've told you the truth behind who God is. I've told you that He sent His Son, who was sinless to die for you. I've told you that you must believe on Him and put your faith in Him. You know the truth, and to be faced with the truth, and yet to do nothing about it, I don't think that's uh, being soft. I think that's inviting wrath into your life. And so I encourage you, if you are here, and those who are here with me that share my faith and knowledge that we know, We know that we know God and we know that God knows us. Yeah, we should try and live more like Him. But brothers and sisters, if you don't know, you need to talk to God. Because the other thing that we don't know is when we leave. We've been reminded of that a lot this year. We have celebrated some very good men 
who were good not because of their own power, but because God changed them into who they were. And not only should we celebrate that, we should seek to be like that. For those who know the Lord, we should seek to follow their example. And if you don't, you've got to find God first. And so we're going to have a hymn, a time for you, this has become my closing phrase, to reflect on what's been said. But I really want you to think for just a minute. Yes, I want you to think about the examples, both in the scriptures from Abigail, and there's many other examples of good and bad responses. Yes, I want you to think about the example that our dear brother, our dear brothers, I'll say that plural, who have left us this year, who have given us examples of how we are to live. But most of all, for those who don't know the Lord, I want you to really consider, what are you going to do about it? Let me be very plain. And I'm not saying this. I want you to know I'm saying this as softly as I can. You going to come here another Sunday and know I'm right and go home? Do nothing about it? Or are you going to do something about it? Don't get me wrong. You can't force your way into heaven. Doesn't work that way. But if you've heard what I've said and you know that I'm right, and God's working in your life, and it's your duty and your responsibility to talk to Him. Let Him help you. Seek the forgiveness that only He can give. Don't do as it says in the book, where you can look into a mirror and then turn around and forget who you are. Go before God. Let Him show you who you really are. Let Him show you His Son, and you deal with Him. And I pray that those who need to know him would take this time to do that. Sister Judy, if we'd have.